0: their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol, zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. You're listening to Dine for the Podcast. I'm Kate Sullivan. Thank you for joining me as we meet the world's most innovative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is New York Times best-selling author Emily Giffen.
1: I think that it's wonderful to escape in someone else's problems.
0: Emily Giffen has created a dream career for herself as a successful author crafting complex characters in her page-turning books. Millions of devoted readers and nine New York Times best-selling books later, she has created a cult-like following of fans. She's taking me to her favorite restaurant in Atlanta called The Optimist, and she's sharing her career U-turn that changed everything. She's explaining how following your gut and going after a dream sometimes pays off big time. Today, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, on my way into a restaurant called The Optimist, a place known for Alabama Gulf oysters and Georgia trout. I'm interviewing New York Times bestselling author, Emily Giffen, about how she's created not one, but eight bestselling books. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Hi, Emily, it's so Hi, nice to meet you. Here. Nice to meet you. Many people dream of writing a book, Then there's Emily Giffen. She is one of the world's best-selling novelists, her book selling more than 11 million copies. She has won the hearts of readers worldwide. But her path has not been an easy one, and her story is one of grit, hard work, and knowing when to make a career U-turn. With the launch of her latest novel, Emily and I meet in Atlanta, Georgia, at her absolute favorite restaurant. Why did you choose this restaurant?
1: I love this restaurant. I am always happy when I come here, whether it's for a drink with a friend or for dinner, a date night. It's just, it's
0: a beautiful space. Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing? It is. The Optimist Restaurant is the brainchild of Chef Ford Fry, a wildly successful businessman who has opened several restaurants across the country and in the Atlanta area. A Houston native and graduate of the New England Culinary Institute, Fry's Restaurant brings savory seaside dining to the heart of the city. I wanted a place where people could go kind of to feel like you're
1: on vacation. I wanted super high quality, but I wanted super casual feel. I don't like dressing up, you know, going to restaurants, I hate it.
0: Set in an old ham aging house, this southern hotspot serves up fresh fish, oysters, lobster, and makes you feel like you're in a cool coastal town. It's original.
1: There's no other restaurant like it really anywhere.
0: The name The Optimist is the perfect pick from an author whose complex characters are always looking for the happily ever after. Location and settings are incredibly important to Emily. Her story actually begins in Naperville, Illinois a suburb of Chicago, the second of three children. She attended Wake Forest University and graduated with honors, going on to the University of Virginia to earn a law degree. Then she landed what she thought was her dream job at a large law firm in Manhattan.
1: So I was practicing law, I was in New York, hated it from day one, <laughs> had a ton of law school debt that I you know, had to pay off before I could be a freed woman. Um, so I worked for five years and while, while practicing law at this very, you know, corporate law firm in Midtown in the MetLife building, um, mm-hmm. I started writing a book. Mm-hmm. And um, when I should have been billing General Electric and Philip Morris, <laughs> maybe I was billing them as I wrote the book, I can't recall. That's our secret. It must but. have felt
0: like a little bit like a pipe dream. You're an attorney, you're working these long hours, you're in New York, you're living the dream, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you really have this dream of being a writer.
1: Right, right. It's, it's kind of unfortunate when you've just had in law school for three years and you've <laughs> paid for the and you're sitting there at your desk and like, I hate it here. But um, I embraced mm. the best of, of the world of living in Manhattan. And anyway, ultimately the book that I wrote was not, um, was not published, it was rejected across the board. So it wasn't Your first quite book the, was rejected. Right. So it wasn't
0: quite the dream. Emily's first rejection didn't stop her. It motivated her to pack up and move to London to follow her literary dreams. She put her heart on the line, and boy, did that risk pay off. A year later, she signed her first book deal, and both critics and readers were head over heels with this fresh new author. I know we'll be sending a few things out for y'all, but do you have any favorites on the menu? I know she does. I'm having exactly what she's having. Oh, you are? Yes, so Emily, you order. Um, Okay, so
1: I would love, we would love, I should say, to start with the octopus, which is one of my favorites here. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll go with the salmon and uh, the hush puppies on the side. I don't know why I'm making that face like it's something (laughs) shameworthy.
0: The hush puppies.
1: That's what we're going with.
0: Um, Sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. The Spanish octopus is cooked to perfection and served with a caper rumelade and spicy honey house pickles. The hush puppies can be found at every table at The Optimist. Their version resembles a New Orleans-style beignet. These cornmeal poppers are topped with a spoonful of powdered sugar and served with a sweet sorghum butter. So what we were
1: going for was this light, uh, Crispy, but also kind of a combination of that New Orleans beignet, but it's not quite a beignet. Um, And that's one thing we've had on the menu since we first started and didn't think it was necessarily something that was going to last for a long time, but this is something that we can't ever get rid of. It's every table gets it.
0: Emily is a master at setting scenes that are as rich as her characters. She spends a lot of time and effort researching locations for the scenes in her books. And so her choice of the optimist as her favorite restaurant is as much about the food as it is the location. It was, in fact, the setting for one of the scenes in Emily's book. First comes love. Ladies, yes. Oh wow. Thank you. That looks amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, delicious! Perfect. Thank you so much. And do you mind if I take a photo? Oh yeah, okay. no. Don't we? Ha-
1: isn't that obligatory at a restaurant? <laughs> yes, it is. Word fry.
0: I'm that crazy person. It yes. takes photos. And I'm gonna take one too here. Oh, excellent. We snapped a few social media pics before diving into our delicious dishes. Turns out Chef Fry found out I'm a lobster roll fanatic and surprised me with his take on the classic New England favorite. That looks amazing, thank you, wow. <laughs> I like watching your face, I this. can't,
1: it's either like deep admiration <laughs> or it's just It's a devotion, hunger pains.
0: yes, it looks amazing. Uh, so. I'm gonna cut you half of this lobster roll okay, sure, because yeah. it just looks too good, yeah. you gotta try it. Um, every one of your characters is Motivated by something, whether it's love or money or status, what do you think you're motivated by?
1: Well, that's such an interesting question. I think that all of my characters, and this is something that I have in common with them, all it all comes down, not intentionally, but to searching for a certain authenticity. Mm -hmm. And the question that they ask themselves is one that I ask myself. It's one that I asked when I was 29 and a lawyer and contemplating that move to become a full-time writer and it's one that I continue to ask myself. Is Am I living the life that I'm meant to be living? Am I being true to myself? Everyone well, of course, wants to know that. We all want to know that and I think that's really what motivates me and what I constantly try to take stock of.
0: Am I living the life that I was meant to be living? And to really get to the answer oh, to is that, try It's amazing. Too, yeah. It's really good. Um, am I living the life that I was meant to live really takes maturity and it takes self-awareness. With your first book, you're an attorney in New York, your first book is rejected across the board. What gave you the courage to move to London and say, I'm going to try this again?
1: Mm-hmm. So misery motivated me. So You had to leave. Right. So really kind of the question is, why did I go to law school? Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted, I didn't feel like I could graduate from college and just start writing fiction. So I sort of wanted to legitimize myself and get a real job. And so that's why I went to law school. And I've never regretted it because I loved, I loved the, um, the study of law. And I loved constitutional law and criminal law and all that I learned. And you know, I was in this world that I, you know, I met wonderful friends, and at the same time, I sort of saw what I didn't want. Yeah. And I think in life, that's so important mm. to, um, to, to to trial and error, to mm-hmm. to make mistakes. And I remember there was an attorney who was a partner at my firm. I did not like him. He did not seem to like anybody. And as I was leaving, and the elevator doors opened. And I had my box of things, and it was my last day, and I was going to move to London and write this book. He said, everyone's writing a novel. Good luck with that book. And he did the double gun thing. And I was like, you're so mean and rude. I'm like, thanks, Bob. And the elevator door's closed. And I'm like, that's my motivation right there. Sometimes you need that little petty
0: motivation to get you through. And when one elevator door shuts, another one opens. Emily vowed never to practice law again. And just like a lead in one of her novels, she set out to find her true, authentic self, flaws and all. You have this ability to create these deeply flawed but relatable characters. How do you do that? Because I'm
1: deeply flawed. (laughs) That's a big help.
0: I try to be relatable,
1: but I know I'm deeply flawed. You know, we we. It's, I'm joking, but I'm also quite serious. We all are that way. You know, I just try to write about real women mm-hmm. in relatable situations. And life is life is messy. Life mm-hmm. is complicated. And I think most of us. You know, you have your outliers, your your bad people out there, but most of us are good people. Mm-hmm. Sort of. You know, we're trying to do trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be kind and and get our decisions right, but we don't. We inevitably screw up. And I just try to put my characters in those situations and hope that my readers root for them in spite of their flaws and in spite of their poor decision-making sometimes.
0: We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. Your books are books that people literally cannot put down. That's so kind. So I'm just wondering, like, do you travel to the places and the settings of your book to do do research?
1: You know, thank you for that compliment. I Mm -hmm. I really try to make that, um, you know, the setting seem like another character in the book. Um, I would say that moving around a lot as a child helps with that feeling of anything could be a potential home. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so when it comes to writing a book one of the things i do is choose a setting and i've chosen atlanta several times because it's i know it so well so mm-hmm. it's it's just very natural for me i've chosen new york and london for the same reason and chicago for the same reason every once in a while i'll choose i'll set a book whether it's because the city intrigues me or the characters i can picture them there or right. both i'll choose a city In so in the this this all we ever wanted i chose to, um uh, Nashville.
0: Mm-hmm. Well it's we're living in an age of honesty that we never even you know when we were growing up it was all about yeah, please do yeah before I finish <laughs> yeah. got it Emily has been called a modern day Jane Austen. Her stories are full of love loss and life lessons. She produces a book almost every two years all of them best-selling novels one of which something borrowed became a movie starring kate hudson and jennifer goodwin it's almost like you say what everyone's thinking but won't say no filter they call that a little but honestly i think that's why people love your book so much it it takes courage to say you're in the wrong relationship you're in the wrong job you need to change course and it takes even more courage to actually do something about it.
1: It doesn't really take that much courage to put my characters in those situations.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> that's not, but, not that hard. But I think Or so. brave. But, but I uh, think that's what people relate yeah. to. They want to see that play out. They want to see their scenario mm-hmm. maybe go a different route play out. And maybe right. your books are the only place sure. that will happen.
1: Again, I think it's just about creating realistic situations and... And trying to understand the full person, and in, in knowing that nobody, nobody really has it all together. Nobody has all the answers. And writing about those that messy landscape of our, our relationships, and, and I think so much of life is 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 searching for, trying to forgive, trying to receive forgiveness, making mistakes, moving on from them. Because let's face it, if we were perfect. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't we, have the richness. Of, yeah, we would. Yeah. We would have the richness of that journey. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's just what I love to do. And I get asked the question a lot: Will you ever write another kind of book?
0: Mm.
1: And you haven't asked that. You wouldn't ask that. So, so What's not you. The so not <laughs> you. But I think it's sort of you know, would I ever write another genre? I don't know. Perhaps a thriller, a mystery. Uh, you know, young adult, but I would always write about relationships because to me that's what's interesting about life.
0: Emily's newest novel, All We Ever Wanted, is set in Nashville, Tennessee and explores a difficult moral dilemma. What do you do when your own child makes a morally reprehensible decision? Do you protect them or do you seek the truth at all costs? The novel tackles that question and the Me Too movement in a subtle and not so subtle way.
1: Well, it was interesting because I started writing the book well before Mm. the Me Too movement really, you know, Mm -hmm. unfolded. Right. Um, So it was sort of one of those situations of, um, you know, art imitating life. But at the same time it wasn't because, of course, I'm not writing in a vacuum. I'm writing about real life. It wasn't a movement, per se. Didn't have a name, but we were all aware of that. Exactly. We, we all can point to stories in the media, in our own life, in our sisters' lives, in our best friends' lives that sort of tapped into what happened in that movement. Right. And I think I, I've, you know, I wanted to write about real women uh, finding their voice, finding the courage to live life on their terms, and whether that, that's about, you know, a career or a relationship or standing up to sexism. Standing up to racism, standing up for themselves and for the people they love, I think it's important.
0: Emily's fan base is a loyal one. She has crafted an audience as unique as her books. Her legions of fans follow her daily life on Instagram and Facebook. Her ability to be transparent in her personal life is part of her ability to connect. She frequently showcases readers on her Instagram and clearly develops a personal relationship with many. You have an amazing relationship with your fan base and you're really good on social media. Is that something you enjoy doing?
1: It really is. Yeah. I think it's hard to fake that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can sort of always tell when you have someone doing your posting for you. Mm-hmm. You can tell this, um, you know, when you follow celebrities, if, they're, if someone's doing the posting for them or if they're doing it for themselves. But I. Um, so and, I, and I don't see writers as celebrities. We're writers. It's kind of different. But, but you
0: have a huge fan base that you want to sort of relate to mm-hmm. and create a community. And that's what you've done. You've created a community with the people who love your books. And you can tell there's a lot of devotion there.
1: That's, uh, that's kind. I do feel a close relationship with my readers and I do credit social media for, for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started writing, we had MySpace. Mm-hmm. That was it. Isn't that crazy. Yes. I mean, we had Facebook, but no one was really on it. But I was on MySpace. Um, but you know, it, with Instagram and Twitter, and you really can have this ongoing dialogue. And I think, for me, I I post about my books and other authors, and uh, but also things that are important to me, you know, social issues that are important to me. Sometimes can be controversial, but I just try to be true to myself mm-hmm. and respectful of people with differing views.
0: When you think about your next book, do you think? I already have a location in mind. Where other, what other cities would you like to set your books in?
1: When I think about my next book, and I have, I've begun to think about my next book because as soon as I get back from tour, like, I'll start writing that. I think more about dynamics of relationships I want to explore. Mm. That sort of comes first. Mm. You know, whether it's the one who got away and, and, and love the one you're with.
0: Even with millions of devoted readers, people don't actually recognize her in public. A successful writer, while famous, is also mostly anonymous, something that Emily enjoys, and also allows her to do what she does best, observing and analyzing the behavior of others from afar. I feel like it's a lot of people's dream to be a writer, but few know exactly what goes into it, Um, and know the discipline of being a writer can you well, shed some light on that
1: well i'd say one one thing that i always try to say when i when i meet other writers and um, people aspiring to publish I, they say i want to be a writer and it's very important to me to always say like you are a writer you're a writer mm-hmm. if you write and you know mm-hmm. you're just like i tell my boys i'm a runner i don't run your speeds mm-hmm. i don't run your marathons mm-hmm. and your, but i'm still a runner when i run mm-hmm. So um, I feel that way about writing, and as far as as a profession to write, I think it is not exactly what people think. How um, so? I think it requires, you know, for me anyway, a tremendous amount of discipline because writing is, is much as is like running. I mean, you don't you don't really ever have. I don't have a burning sense to write. Usually. Mm. It's more something that I enjoy once I'm doing it. Mm. Once I sit down and make myself do it. I think it requires discipline. Just to get the book finished in a year and a half, basically. It's a, it's about a fifty hour a week job, forty hour a week job for me. Now it doesn't always feel like a job. In the best moments it feels like, you know, in, in any career and anything you're doing you can lose yourself in the moment and right. you get that groove and it, what do they call that flow? Whoa. And I definitely find that, and it's wonderful, but there are days when it's just so gritting it out and gutting it out and staring at the blank page and resisting the urge to get on social media, which you can see I don't resist very well, (laughs) or very often, do I?
0: You are a girl's girl and I, I understand why you, so many people love you and love your books That's book. and, nice. I Thank really you. Are. I really meant I'm like I love having lunch with you. So what does the next chapter look like for Emily Giffen? What is the vision for you? You have written eight best-selling novels. First of all, amazing. Well that's nice. surreal to you.
1: So much work that I wouldn't call it surreal. Mm-hmm. It, it, sometimes when I step back and I go to a book signing right. and see that, you know, what's surreal is that people are connecting with my characters, right. and that's the thrill of it all for me. And that's really what motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing. And I want, I want my readers to be happy. I want them to love the next book. I never want to hear those words for old stuff was better. You know, I want, I want them to continue to connect with characters and for everyone to find a new. Every book I write, I want someone to say, this is my favorite book that she's written. This is the book that changed my life for me. So I think that really motivates me.
0: On this hot summer day, Emily shows us another one of her city secrets, Atlanta's West Side Provisions. Formed in 2008 with the construction of fabulous footbridges. this spectacular shopping and dining development was once home to a meat packing plant and train yard. What does it mean for you to live in
1: Atlanta? It's the longest I've lived anywhere. Really? It just feels like home to me. I just, it's, it's so diverse and vibrant, and the people are, it's, it's the South, but it has a sophistication. So I feel like it has the best of both
0: worlds. I think now that you, you know what a successful novel looks like, you, you, you've written it many times, to be able to have this platform to address discussions, address topics that people need to talk about, is incredibly powerful.
1: There is some satisfaction in that and directing the conversation through fiction mm-hmm. and and you know and what's important but again I don't think I, I don't do it consciously it's more like what's on my mind and what's inspiring me at the time. Mm. What do you hope people get from your books? Like, What do you want the experience of reading your book to be for a reader? Sure um, you know I never sit down and write a book with a message in mind, but once it's finished, as this one is, and um, I go out to meet my readers and the tour begins, um, I, I hope that they are able to connect with the characters and take something away that helps them live their authentic lives. Really? So I think all my characters are, are struggling to, to do that, to find their way, to find their voice. Um, as women and as people. So I, I hope that my readers say, wow, that's a flawed woman. That's a flawed man. A man, they have a lot of work to do, but I can relate to, to him or her, and I understand, I can put myself in her shoes, and I have empathy for that. Oh, I love trains. Don't you I love know. trains? I love
0: trains. There's something so romantic They're and magical. S- isn't it that yes. sound? It's like going
1: back in time. I think a lot of your readers are just looking forward to that escape from your books. I think that it's wonderful to escape in someone else's problems. Because uh, you forget yes. your own. Yes to that. So even though my books can be dark, and, and, and they're not always packaged that way, mm-hmm. especially early on, something borrowed, it's this pink cover with a ring on it, but it's really a melancholic portrait of friendship. Right. And this one has some darkness too, but to me that's almost more of an escape, because you really can forget your own your own problems, and you, you're trying to solve another person's. You are per absorbed sense.
0: in other people's problems. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And like every good author, Emily knows how to create a page-turning twist with a happy ending. Emily Giffen is a study in imagination. She knows how to create the arc of a story, and her characters, like you and I, are flawed and relatable, with stories that have twists and turns that some just wouldn't believe. But it's her relationship with herself and her ability to see the world and bring those stories to life that have millions counting the days to her next page turner. I'd like to make a toast to you, Emily. Thank Aww. you for being on To Dine For. Thank you for sharing your story and your truth. And thank you for thank bringing you so me to much. a delicious, delicious meal. And Cheers. And happy birthday. Thank you. thank you. Thanks for listening to To Dine For the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the Podcast, American National, and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.